Hello, everyone, and welcome to Headwise, the weekly video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. I'm the founder of Migraine Nation, and I have a history of chronic and daily migraine that began at the age of four. I am excited to introduce you all to Canon Techstar Hodge, otherwise known as Migraine Babe. Say hello. Hi. Hi. So Canon has been diagnosed with three types of migraine, vestibular migraine, sinus migraine, and something many people may not be familiar with yet called migraine with unilateral motor symptoms or mums. Canon is a migraine advocate and does an awesome, very impressive job of educating people about her chronic illness through the use of social media. I met Cannon this year at Headache on the Hill in Washington, D.C., and I thought her story was awesome. I think she does a great job of turning what um, what these diagnoses are into something positive, uh, educating everyone, and I just wanted you all to meet her hear her story, etc. You can see that um, she was feeling an attack coming on, so she is currently wearing a cephaly. And um, I just want you all to hear what she has to say. And we're probably all going to learn something a little new today because I bet there's not many people in the audience that have even been introduced to mums yet. So this is going to be an exciting episode. So Canon, thank you so much for being here. And I'm so happy to see you again. Uh, can you it's so good to see you. <laughs> can you start by just telling the audience a little bit about yourself and your migraine journey? Sure. So I was um I had my first migraine attack when I was around eight, and I didn't become chronic until my 20s. And I didn't realize I had migraine until my 30s, um, just because of how migraine is. <laughs> um and migraine has significantly changed my career path. I used to work in fashion. I now work for the virtual neurology clinic, Neuro Health. Um, and it has really changed the way that I live my life because of the debilitating aspects of my migraine disease. Um, and then I can go in and talk about mums because that was my latest diagnosis, if you want. Um, and that was kind of the most surprising thing for me because I've had migraine for so long. Yeah. And this was something that I just learned about in January. Right. So I'll so I'll go ahead and just jump in and say that um some a lot of people in our audience probably know about two of your diagnoses, even though they're not uh technically uh listed amongst the headache disorders. Um they are vestibular migraine and sinus migraine. We talk about vestibular a lot and we we had an entire episode with uh, Dr. Rick Godley about sinus migraine. Um, it is not well known, but um, if people were watching with us, they have been introduced to it. But mums, we have not talked about it on the podcast yet, and so few people, excuse me, so few people know it even exists. So, um, so go ahead and why don't you just introduce everyone to what mums is? Yeah. Sure. So again, I, I think that it's wonderful that sinus migraine is getting its day in the sun. A lot, so much of what I've learned about migraine is through podcasts like Headwise. Um, and so I think that everything that you're doing is so critical. So MUMS stands for Migraine with Unilateral Motor Symptoms. 
And it's this really little understood type of migraine and it's dubbed as super migraine. And when I was first diagnosed with mums, I was like, what super migraine? What does this mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's because of the severity of the symptoms. Prior to being diagnosed with mums, I only had seen it referenced in one paper published last spring by Dr. Courtney White. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've learned since my diagnosis is that it's an aggressive type of migraine with aura that's quite similar to hemiplegic migraine, so similar that it's almost perfectly fits the ICHD3 diagnostic criteria, but the motor weakness is slightly different. To me, the weakness feels like weakness, but within the diagnostic um, portion of being diagnosed with mums, it is a different kind of weakness than you would have with hemiplegic migraine. Um, and also the severity and kind of the chaotic level of symptoms you get with mums is is more than what you would have with hemiplegic migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other symptoms like autonomic symptoms as more as well, um, cluster-like symptoms that also come with mums. And the kind of the length of auras are much longer, so much so that um, my headache specialist refers to my auras as symptoms rather than auras themselves because they typically last a much longer than an hour. Mm-hmm. So okay. that that is kind of months. So there's, there's about four or five papers out there about it. Um, And I've only seen one migraine advocacy group, which is Migraine Australia, talk about it and write about it. Right. And um, a couple of those papers um, that are out there uh, have been written by some of our favorite neurologists in the advocacy community, like Dr. Bill Young. Many of us are familiar with him or uh, Dr. Peter Goadsby. So many of us know the people that have written about it. It just is not a well-known diagnosis yet. So I think people are going to be curious when you have these three types of migraine, what is it, what is it like living with it? Do they all come at once? Can you tell the difference? Does one come at a time? I would say that it's more like, um, it's almost like a chart of severity. So my vestibular migraine is very well controlled. So I just have a baseline symptom of kind of vague dizziness. And sometimes I'll have a vestibular attack, um, which I will feel the classic dizziness and the vertigo and um, my ears will start ringing. I'll feel the head, um, the ear fullness. And I will get those maybe once or twice a year, but I just always have this baseline dizziness. And then with sinus migraine, it feels just like a sinus um, infection. Mm -hmm. And I will have those symptoms right in the sinuses. I have the autonomic symptoms. Mm -hmm. And um, typically the best acute medication I take when I get that is like um, a naproxen or an NSAID. Um, more than taking a Nurtec or something. So I I don't get those very often. I would say that mums is kind of the type of migraine that <laughs> rules my life and has taken over my life. But I do have the other two and I will get those types of attacks from time to time. Okay. Um, what things, you, you briefly mentioned that you previously had a career in fashion, which I'm guessing mm-hmm. is where you thought you were headed with your life, like so many people uh, with migraine and they had a plan. Uh, What things in life 
do you feel you've given up on or maybe you are we're going toward and you did not end up in that direction because of your chronic illness and because of migraine absolutely so my career had a total shift i i started off at neiman marcus and bergdorf goodman and i really thought that i was going to be working in fashion until the very end um, and I had some big jobs within the, the fashion world. I started social media for Bergdorf Goodman, and I've worked in-house and at different agencies um, overseeing social media, digital um, strategies, and influencers for different places, including beauty brands. And something that I really discovered as my disease progressed and my level of disability progressed is that it became more and more difficult for me to keep a job in that field. Um, even though I was qualified and I knew how to do my job, my employers didn't know how to accommodate me. And so it was very difficult for me to do my job on a day-to-day basis. Um, dressing 60 influencers for a fashion show and organizing all of the photographers and live streams and everything for a fashion show and all of those levels of triggers and everything were something my headache specialist and I would really have to plan for and I would have to get infusions in advance for and take steroids for just to get through that one day. So I, I found it was difficult for me to, to get a job because of just the lack of accommodations, the level of ableism and discrimination. And so um, a, almost a year ago, I started conversations with NeuroHealth, which again is the virtual neurology clinic that specializes in headache and migraine disorders. And um, they had an opening for social media and influencer as like a director position. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being the perfect opportunity for me because I could take my experience of working in social media and influencer and then merge that with my level of migraine advocacy. So I've been able to work in a space that has been incredibly accommodating because our founder has a chronic pain disorder. So many people who work at Neura either have migraine or another chronic illness. And mm-hmm. so I can just like be me and not ever have that ableism that I was having to deal with in my other jobs. Right. Um, so I, I love that story. And I love that you have this, this thing now that you can do where you can work as an advocate and, and make a living. And that is a great story. So I'm going to jump ahead to a different question before uh, that, before I ask you and the one that I was going to ask you, uh, what positives, is there anything positive that you have been able to pull from having migraine? Anything positive? Happened? Absolutely. I would say I was just discussing this with Desena yesterday. I don't know if you um, are familiar with her, but it's, it's really the people who I've met and the friendships that I've made. Um, it's, they're absolutely incredible. I'm so grateful to know every single person who I've met. I mean, meeting you at Headache on the Hill, getting to see other people who I text with almost every single day at Headache on the Hill. It was it was so special. I finally got to meet Jamie in person. I finally got to meet Kelsey in person. I have like this ongoing text with Dr. White and Sarah from GHLF. And the fact that we all got to be together in person was just incredible. So I've I've made these really deep friendships with people. Um, and the level of empathy I get from the migraine community is, is really, really wonderful. Um, and I would say that it's, it's really opened up my eyes to what true empathy is. Mm-hmm. And it's made me like having migraine has made me 
a much more kind person and a much more patient person. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a much more progressive person because now I'm all about how can we be more equitable? How can we think about others? It's not just about me. It's about everyone else and how they're affected by their surroundings. Right. Right. That's a great, great answer. Uh, I would say too, that the, the empathy you learn, the, the people in our space, just it's there, it is an amazing community. Uh, and so I love that you said that. Thank you for that answer. Um, so my next question is you wrote about this at one point. Uh, and, and so I really would love, and if you could share with us, how has migraine and having this chronic illness, um, affected your personal life, your friendships, other relationships? I think this is so important for anyone who feels comfortable sharing as much as they can, which I've noticed you, this is, this is why you are such a good influencer in our space. You are comfortable sharing and, and that's good for us, but there's so many people who feel alone. Um, and so it, so how has this affected these relationships for you? Golly, I, I can't tell you how many friends I've lost along the way. Um, I, and I'm very open about that because I, I've been quite hurt by it. <laughs> um, because I, I had this job where I was meeting so many people and it was a very like, kiss, kiss, how are you doing? Let's go out for dinner type of career. And then suddenly my life became very silent mm-hmm. and I, I started to see and feel that society sees migraine as this form of mental fragility and that it's just something that can be fixed with meditation or acupuncture. And so when I would see people and I was so debilitated and I could hardly function, they would, they would be like, why don't you just try acupuncture? That, that should help you. And it, that's all they really wanted to say. And what I learned along the way is there's all of the stigma that we have to go through. And we're just told over and over again, if you just try hard enough, migraine will go away, which isn't, isn't true. It's, it's, it's a neurobiological disease. And for the most part, it's genetic and you have no control over it. Mm-hmm. So as my disease progressed, I saw a lot of friendships fade. Um, and that's not to say that all of my friends left. Those two remain are incredible and are the truest friends that I could wish for. And I'm so lucky to still have them in my life, the people who I can really depend on. Um, and I, I think I probably have more friends than a lot of people who are disabled by migraine mm-hmm. um, to the severity that I am. And I'm very lucky for these people. But I, ha- I did see a huge loss. And something that I've realized with chronic illness is that for the most part, people want to see a happy ending. That's why when someone gets appendicitis or a broken bone, it's like, oh my God, feel better. And with chronic illness, you don't have that happy ending. So people don't know what to do or say to you. And so that it's easier for them to just pretend you don't exist anymore. And so life gets very quiet and silent. And I just didn't want to be silent about it. I had a life to live. I had goals I wanted to achieve and I was going to live my life whether or not they wanted to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. so that's really what I've done. And I've, I've learned, especially during like throughout this pandemic, it's become more and more isolating and that's been very hard. And then especially during the winter when I don't go outside and when I, I really have to be insular and isolated. 
But in the spring and summer, my life cracks open again. And I see people and I'm super active. And I do much better mentally and physically. And it's really my time to thrive. And what I've learned about this pandemic is that it's made me much more aware of my chronic illness and disabilities because it's something I have to think about on a daily basis every second I leave my apartment because I'm thinking I'm doing all of these risk calculations because I can't I can't risk getting sick. I, I don't have the bandwidth for my um, migraine or any of my other comorbidities to get worse. So I I'm so much more aware of kind of my chronic illness and that can make things more difficult. Um, and it's definitely weighed on my mental health and it's something that I try to talk about a lot because those who are able-bodied, they don't, they don't realize how isolating this can be for those who are chronically ill and at risk, is that we really are here just like on our own with our HEPA filters and masks doing our best <laughs> um, and, and trying to make it through while everyone else is um, just living as though <laughs> we're still like there's no pandemic going on. Um, but I, I don't have that privilege and I have to continue um, being careful and safe. Right. So, yeah. Right. No, this, the, all very good answer. I think we all, I'm, I, you know, been with migraines since I was a child. So I think that depending on how long and when it enters your life or when it becomes daily, when it becomes chronic, Mm -hmm. you know, you might just, I'm just very careful uh, about which friends I keep and which, who I let in close and who I depend on, et cetera. So it is a difficult process. So thank you for answering that because I've seen how honest you are about it. And I love your answer to that question. Um, so you share your symptoms, um, on TikTok. And you <laughs> a very honest job of that as someone, cause you, you even share, um, you, share about vomiting as someone who spent half my life vomiting and nauseous, et cetera. I was noticing like how much I could relate to some of the, some of the, the clips that you shared about Mm -hmm. that. Um, so what made you decide to be so honest in sharing so much about your disease in social media, et cetera? How did you come to that, um, level of honesty? I think it's very brave. Well, thank you. Um, well, again, I've worked in social since 2009. So this is a space in which I feel really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to advocacy, it just made sense for me to take my advocacy onto social because that's that's the medium in which I feel the most comfortable. And I noticed that in other on other social media platforms, there already was a space carved out where there was factual information. Facebook had their groups. Instagram had um, a very vibrant community of advocates who are already sharing factual information. There's um, Migraine Twitter, which is so incredible. Um, But TikTok was just this mess of misinformation. Mm -hmm. And when I would go on there, I would see all of these hacks and quote unquote cures by people who had no experience in treating migraine. And it it really scared me. So I decided to start what I knew about migraine. And because of the the work I had done and the training I had done through Miles for Migraine, through Migraine World Summit, um, having once been an admin for Migraine Strong, I knew how to do um, kind of deeper research than I would say the average person. So I don't just go on to like Reddit and look things up. I go straight to 
the studies, I go to nature, I go to NIH and I, I read through these studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I wanted to share this factual information. And the other thing is, is I have the privilege and that my symptoms are very physical and they're very obvious. Most people who have migraine, their, their symptoms are invisible. So you can't tell how migraine is debilitating them. But with my symptoms, I get, you know, I lose the ability to speak and one part of my face will, will not move. So it's very easy to capture. And people sometimes will comment and be like, if you're that sick, how are you able to do this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not that difficult to just prop your phone up against a lamp and hit record and see what happens. And then when you're feeling better to edit it. So that's what I do a lot of times. And what I found is that people really appreciate that because they feel so isolated and they recognize that TikTok is a space of misinformation. And so I really try to use the platform to, to share factual information where people don't feel alone. And then I use my um, bio links to really encourage people to get more involved with advocacy um, and to read different research papers and everything. And I'm constantly updating that information and encouraging them to become more involved. Because I, the only way we're going to break the stigma of migraine is to educate others and to help others understand we need more NIH funding. We need more research. And if unless people know about this and get angry about it, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more people who have episodic migraine, who understand how severely debilitated those with chronic migraine are, we can start creating a new generation of advocates who have the energy to advocate for migraine, uh, unlike those who tend to be the biggest advocates, who are people like me who have, you know, pretty high frequency chronic migraine, don't have a lot of energy to do the work that we do. So that's that's really what I try to do on TikTok. Uh, to me, sharing my symptoms is I'm not embarrassed about it at all. It's part of my life. I mean, I have to ride the subway like this. I have to ride the bus like this. I'm at work like this. It's just, it's who I am. So putting it on TikTok is no big deal. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think with, with like nausea and vomiting, since I have gastrophoresis, it's just, it's such a part of my life. <laughs> um, it's like having the hiccups. So um, I just, I try to share what's real so that people see this is, this is how someone lives. And migraine is not, it's not a headache. That's what I thought it was. I had such a stigmatized view of migraine. It took me years to accept my migraine diagnosis because I didn't understand what migraine was. And when I first was diagnosed with migraine, I I was like, no, it has to be something worse. It -hmm. it has to be something worse. I didn't realize it was the second leading cause of disability. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't realize that a migraine diagnosis is the something worse. (laughs) <laughs> so I try to show that migraine is something worse. So when people get that diagnosis, they're like, okay, even though my MRI says things are fine, or even though my blood work says things are fine, this is something worse. And I feel validated by this diagnosis. Right. So, Okay. So I'm going to ask you something that I think your answer is probably going to be pretty interesting considering, um, how often you have migraine attacks and um, the different types that you have. I'm always telling people uh, my personal philosophy in my own work that I feel we each have to build a rock wall 
against migraine where half the rocks are medications, half of them are lifestyle factors, et cetera. And the mortar that holds it all together is your mentality. So what are some of your most important rocks, a couple of your most important rocks, so to speak, that you might want to share with our audience? Meds. (laughs) Um, 100% medications. I am one of those people who is like, there is no shame in needing to take preventive meds. I think at this point, I'm taking either six or seven preventive meds. And I also get Botox Mm -hmm. and Amavig. And I am so appreciative of each of the preventive meds that I have because I recognize how it improves my quality of life. Namenda makes it so that I no longer have to wear tinted lenses. Um, Lamictal, sorry, Lamictal makes it so that I can speak clearly and that my auras are not taking over everything. Um, Diamox makes it so that I'm not so dizzy all the time. So each of these medications, they they improve my quality of life and they make it so that I'm able to stay independent and have a job and be active and be a good friend. And so I don't see any kind of shame in taking medications. Um, I am so thankful for Botox. Uh, it's the greatest thing ever. Um, and I wish that more people had access to Botox earlier on in their diagnosis because I think it could help a lot of people. Um, and I also have to say that, you know, is something I couldn't get through any day with, um, out it. And it, I think neuromodulation devices, they're having a moment and I'm really happy that they are because when you have chronic migraine, you often have this fear, like I only have eight Nurtec a month, or I only have eight tryptans a month. And you, you don't know when to take it because you're like, is this migraine attack going to be severe enough for me to take this medication? Yeah. Is this so one of the attacks of the month? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But with a neuromodulation device and especially with cephaly, you just, you put it on and you can use it and it, it will treat the attack right then and there. You don't have to worry about running out. It's just always there so long as you haven't charged up. So I have found that neuromodulation devices have given me a lot of freedom when it comes to acutely treating my migraine attacks because I I use that first. And then if I need the extra help, usually I'll use an intranasal spray. I go into one of my other acute medications, but for the most part, I just use a neuromodulation device and that will acutely treat my attacks. And it's really changed a lot of things for me. Okay. Well, great answer. Great answer. And I love that you said there's no shame in taking medicines. I'm always shocked when you run into someone who feels ashamed that they're taking medicines or is ashamed and so won't take them. So I think that's an important medicine to, or excuse me, important message to get across. Um, And I used to be that person. Oh, no. I used to be be very ashamed about meds. And I used, I, I think the first preventive I was prescribed was amitriptyline. And I was like, I cannot believe that I'm having to take this. And it, it was something, it felt like this great burden. And now every morning I, I take my handful of meds and I'm like, here we go. This is why I can walk and talk. And I feel really lucky and grateful. Exactly. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we go today? Sure. You know, this is a message that I always reinforce to people and it's that migraine's not your fault. It's, it's a neurobiological disease with a genetic predisposition. You can do everything right. 
and you're still going to have migraine disease and migraine attacks. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't feel guilty about that. I mean, you really can do everything right. And then it might start raining and you'll get a migraine attack. So there's no reason to feel guilty. And there, there's absolutely not, nothing wrong with needing to take medications <laughs> to treat your migraine. Um, and you sh- just shouldn't feel guilty about it. I wish that more people can have that weight lifted off their shoulders. Right, right. No, it's it's definitely not your fault. Uh, most of my attacks or most my pain's just there. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't do anything. I, I was born this way. That's what I try to tell people. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so yes, I, I think that's a great message. So thank you so much for that, Canon, And thank you for being here. And thank, thank you so much everyone. for having me. <laughs> thank you everyone for joining us this week on the weekly video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. Bye-bye.